podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Some of the topics are addiction, fear, faith, self-compassion, relationships, codependency, emotional intelligence, and more. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. do we see things differently, clearer, better? How do we approach a new year with resilience, courage, and a commitment not to compare ourselves to others, but to compare ourselves to our potential? How can we envision a day, week, a month, a year, and a life of amazing possibilities? opportunities, and lessons that help us be our best? How can we focus and create our dreams, then make progress on achieving them? All of this is our work to do if we want to have a most amazing life. And the starting point is to get clear. Jay Forte. This episode is about clarity, vision, amazing possibilities, and beyond. And we'll be listening to Jay Forte, a certified professional coach, author, and educator specializing in maximizing performance and potential. Jay founded the Forte Factor to provide talent, strength-based, and mindfulness tools to enable anyone to discover, develop, and live what is best in them. Jay's unique mindfulness approach to coaching empowers his clients to achieve exceptional personal and professional results. Jay is the author of Fire Up Your Employees and Smoke Your Competition and The Greatness Zone, Know Yourself, Find Your Fit, Transform the World. He was also the host of The Greatness Zone and Get Your Kids Ready for Life podcasts. To read Jay's full biography, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Here is our interview with Jay Forte. It has been a few months since we talked. So my first question today is, what has changed? Who is Jay Forte today? Well, 
You know, it's a new year, and sometimes at the beginning of a new year is a great moment to interrupt the habits that we have to check in on them and see if they're habits that bring us to where we want to be or are we stuck doing something that we always do. And so I think when we spoke last, I told you I did come from a big family. I had an engineering dad who insisted that we create New Year's resolutions because it was his perspective that if we had a roadmap to work from, we would go and achieve things that mattered to us. We just for all these years have gotten in the habit of a new year means an opportunity to look at last year and say, so what worked and what didn't work? And if it didn't, what do I want to do differently this year? I went through that. And the big thing I noticed about me, and you would think for all the years I've been on the planet, I should be good with this now, but but I, I still realize there's a lot of things I hold myself back in. And even and as a coach, I even help people past their fears, but I noticed something when I was doing mine that that I had a lot of things I was playing small in because I was still afraid of a lot of things. And not like, you know, like scared of the dark kind of things, but just places where the difference between doing good enough and doing really great, I would pick the good enough. And and I was trying to understand why I was doing that. And most of the time they were environments that I was afraid of, like crowds or marketing or promoting myself or really saying what I feel. And um, because I'm a kind of person that doesn't like conflict and that by itself introduced me to some things that I still needed to work on. So, so sorry for the long answer to your question. I think what's different about me this year is I'm aware and I've made a commitment that this is what I call the year of no fear. At least let me address them and see if the fear is legit. Or if the fear is just a story I'm telling myself that, you know, gets me off the hook instead of makes me do my wow. hard work. Yeah, that sounds so good. Um, you mentioned something that um very interesting to me about conflicts, this fear to cause conflicts among people around me or whatever it is. How did you overcome that? I don't think I have overcome that yet. I don't know that we ever do. I, I think so. A lot of the work that I do is understanding personalities. And the reason why we do that is I can't coach somebody if I don't understand the way that they think about things. And, and I get by nature, you and I are probably, you know, non-confrontational pe people by nature. It's our and a little bit in our hardwiring that we're people pleasers rather than these direct assertive communicators that can say whatever comes to mind. We always temper ours down or don't say the important thing because we care deeply that we didn't hurt somebody. The challenge with that is that frequently we're the ones that get hurt because, and, and that was 2019 for me, there was a lot of heartache in 2019 because I wasn't courageous enough to say what I needed to say. And I was afraid of the conflict. And when it would come up, I'm like, yep, that's me. I'm just afraid of conflict. And I would let myself off the hook of saying, oh, this is just who I am. And but then I realized, you know, even some of the things that are hard for us to do, there are times when we still have to do them. You know, if by nature I'm pretty empathetic and supportive, if I do that too much, then I'm not helping my coaching clients at all. Then I'm doing all their work for them. And if I don't share with the people that I love what I really are, am feeling, then all I do is set myself up to be in conflict with them because now I think they're not paying attention to me. But how could they? Because they didn't, I never told them what I needed because I was afraid it would offend them or hurt them or make them get upset at me. And 
so that's the big fear that I'm working on this year again. And I don't know that we ever get by it, but you know what we do? At least I think, I think we develop enough courage to handle it in the moment. And then we run back to our safe place. Then when it comes back up, we're like, okay, we can do this. And we run back up and we do it again. And then we run back to our safe place because I don't know that we ever get comfortable with it. I think we just realize we have to be courageous and do it when we can. Yeah, um, makes sense to me what you just said. And I'm just wondering here if this is because we have this deep understanding, perhaps even unconscious, that life is love. Life is such a beautiful thing, special to be here in the human body that we try to avoid kind of creating any kind of negativity or unpleasant uh, situations. No, I, I really like that. In fact, you, you bring up a really good point, And I love the way you said that. I think even in the moments where we have to challenge somebody, we can still do it in a loving way. And that's what I'm beginning to see, because, you know, most of our experience of challenge is by watching people who challenge in an unloving way. If so, if we are truly loving people, how does being loving not mean it doesn't it shouldn't mean run away from it. It should say stand there and do it, but do it in a way that that the other person feels valued and supported and cared for. And and then maybe we both could feel loved instead of only one yeah, side in it. I like that. What does it take? Awareness or intelligence um, to be able to, to communicate in such a way with respect and understanding for the other, even though we disagree with them? I think by nature, people like you and me who are on the more supportive side of personality, I think that kind of comes easy easier to us than people who are more direct and more assertive and I think they have to work a little harder at that because I think um, when I look at my coaching clients, and let's see if I can pull some lessons out of them. When I look at my coaching clients, they're scattered all over in personalities. The ones who can manage that, and, and I think you hit it right when you said, is it you know, is it wisdom and is it knowledge and is it um, effort and personality? I think all of the pieces there or awareness could I see that I do things that are unproductive? Could I then find out what productive looks like? And then could I try on purpose in those moments to shift out of what I normally do and do something better? And, and that's the little formula I use with any client, even particularly with myself. I know that by nature, everybody will, I will get along with everybody, but that doesn't mean I went and did what I was supposed to do, which was challenge somebody when their behavior wasn't right or um, didn't um, respect me back. And I just said, no, don't worry about it. When that is a perfect moment for me to do the same thing. I know that by nature, I don't do it. But what would really benefit the situation is if I could tap into some part of me that I don't always use, because this situation needs it. So I think it's, it's that, could I be aware enough that I do it? Could I then know how a better way looks? And then could I over time, work to make the better way my way? Could I be aware enough that I can change a little bit? And like we said before, hey, go and do it and then run back to your place where you feel safe. That's the best I've found so far in, in trying to deal with the things that don't feel like they're yours. So let's talk about clarity. Clarity for an amazing 2020. I guess you have been talking already about clarity in different ways. But my first question regarding the subject of clarity for an amazing life, even, what is your understanding of clarity? What is clarity to you? 
I think, and it's funny, I use it all the time, but let's see if I can actually define it. Clarity is the ability to choose wisely of all of the things that there are available. So maybe what goes on behind that is the awareness and the understanding of oneself, the awareness and the understanding of a world, of our world. And clarity is the ability to put those two pieces together in a way that matters. And if we could see what that looks like, then to me, what it does is it kind of lights, it's like turning the spotlights on. Then you know where you're headed, the road gets lit up, and then you can determine as you're moving, am I moving on that road towards something that matters? Or am I just, you know, getting banged around like a pinball, you know, whatever the noise of the moment is, it's yanking me to the right and yanking me to the left instead of letting me be intentional about actually moving forward. And, and when we get yanked like that, at the end of the day, we're tired, but we didn't get anything done. We didn't we didn't make any progress on the things that we said mattered right. to us. Can you explain to me what is the feeling when we are clear? What is that feeling within us that's there? I think it could manifest itself by uh, comfort, uh, confidence, uh, maybe even ex- probably, in fact, not maybe even for sure, excitement. And, and and I guess I'm thinking as as my road gets clearer, the older I get. Sometimes, you know, it's so funny. The older you get, and your eyes don't aren't going so well. But the vision of where you need to be gets clearer. I think the more that I know that I'm on, that I'm clear about where I'm headed and why I'm headed there, the richer my days are. The less worry there is in the days. The more confidence I feel because I think I'm where I belong, and those are generally in areas. Um, that align to who I am. So I have abilities and interests to be there. So I think the feeling that it creates is one of um, energy and excitement as well as confidence. And confidence in a world that is always trying to knock you down, probably that's a really important one to have too. So in a way, do you connect clarity to inner peace, the self-love, self-acceptance? Why not unconditional love, self-love? Yeah, I think it's part of it. I think for us to have that, we must be clear about who we are and how we choose to show up. Yeah, and there's probably way more to it, but I think clarity is a piece of it. Yeah. Why is a new year a good time to do some self-discovery work? (laughs) (laughs) Just because I have a habit of doing it from years and years and years. But no, I think any beginning of anything. So I was a CPA before, so... Even the beginning of a month, you know, there seems to be like a a flow, a calendar flow that, you know, allows you to um, start and move through an end. And when the end is there, then there's a a possible new beginning. And so I think the end of a year, like the end of a month, the end of a week, the end of a day are all great places for us to make an awareness or create an awareness about what went on and ask the question in the very next moment, which will be new. What do we want? Work that we should do more of and what didn't work that we should probably improve so we'd be happier. Right. So the beginning of anything, really. Um, But yeah, um, the beginning of a new year, it's funny because in my understanding, time doesn't exist, but it's still something that we are driven by, right? Like certain marks, like those uh, time, for example, of the day and the days of the week. 
Um, yeah, they represent something. Uh, it seems to me it's an agreement, a social agreement. And then we all like walking together towards something. And I love the idea of not just working to achieve something for ourselves, but for, for everyone, for those around us. Yeah, and and I know it's arbitrary, um, but but to to create some check-in period. Now, I guess if we were always all aware, we wouldn't need to do it. But because most of us aren't aware that often, could we at least poke ourselves every now and then and say, okay, at least at this moment, let me just stop everything around and pull myself back and see what's true. So this year, I found this really great statue. It's about two feet tall, it's a uh, metal statue of a diver standing on the very edge of a platform just about ready to dive. So his arms are out straight, he's looking all around, and uh, and it's a perfect metaphor in coaching as well, but I think it's in life where, you know, could we be aware enough in the moment of everything? And so the expression I use all the time now is get to the platform. You know, how do you get yourself there and stand there for a second and see what is fully embrace whatever's going on so you know in a deep way which way forward whether that's up or down or right or left i, I don't know but it creates the the opportunity for us to look at ourselves and look at what we want and how we feel and how we're affecting others and just see it don't judge it just see it and then with intention say so do i dive to the right or the left or or wherever and I just, I loved it as a metaphor. Can we get clear? So maybe January 1st is like getting to the platform. What does last year look like? Meaning all of your training, you bring it in, and now you have this big advance, this big open space in front of you. What do you want to do in this? How do you want to dive? How do you want to make your motion or your splash in the world? And every time I look at that statue, I'm like, wow, that's way more powerful than it was. I just bought it because I like it. And it has... <laughs> yeah all of this really great levels of meaning in it. Yeah, yeah. I would love to see it, though. Send me a picture, and then I'll post it on your podcast profile as a visual image for the conversation. Most of the times uh, when I was unclear in my life, when I look back, I see that the way to become clear pretty fast would be to do something for others, like I just mentioned. It seems like there is always a way out of uh, being stuck or unhappy or depressed or any negative state of mind. It's just to kind of uh, open up the heart, the mind, and just be there for others. Do something to help others. I think, I, I, and I like that. I think I see that happen over and over again. You know, the time when we're all wrapped up in ourselves. And um, that's when we spin and spin and spin and get all frustrated with things. But the moment we take the energy and focus it on the outside in a good and loving way, we can't help but be pulled into that for emotion. And we get past all that other junk and we look back at it and say, why was I even in that space? You know, what, what, and what do I need to do in the future so that when that happens, I can see it starting and here's what I'll do instead. And then we start to take control of some of our habits that, you know, we've gotten since we were, who knows, when we were little and we were growing up and our parents did this or our grandparents did this or teachers say do this and we picked it up and it's ours. And then we realize, hey, a lot of that didn't really make any sense for us. Um, we just need to sort through the messages that life has been sending us and determine the ones that we think are valuable for us. 
and let the other ones go because there's a whole lot of negative out there, but that doesn't mean any of it has to be ours. Right, right. Wow, habits, they are so powerful. How do we know the difference between a healthy habit even that has become invalid? I think that's right up there with clarity. Um, So awareness is the doorway in, you know, so if we can build into our day an opportunity to review what we do and how we feel when we do it, then we have information. So that to me, that's like getting back up on that diverse platform. All I have is information. So if I could be non-judgmental enough to look at a habit previously that I had previously identified as a success habit and honestly compare it against the things or compare it to the life that it's giving me, the feelings that it's giving me, the other awarenesses that it's giving me. And, you know, the reminder is nothing stays the same. So a a habit that was successful can very quickly turn into an unproductive one, particularly, you know, where we're so well-intentioned, like you said, you know, I was working out so much and I was eating all the right things, but you know what? I was spending all this time and I was missing out on these other things. And all of a sudden I just found myself wandering away from the thing that I wanted. So if you were to say, here is the thing that matters most to me today, right now, and hold that out in the front, like a destination, then can you start to hold all of the choices that you make up against that? Because every time you do, the world's going to give you a judgment about it. You only should eat this and it's right that you do this and spending too much time with other people will not be a good thing. They've got, they've got a perspective about everything. You know, in our loving way, we can say, thank you for your input, but that doesn't make any sense for me. So here's what I want for me. So when I talk about what happy means, Where is the balance of time I spend with people, the care that I take care of my physical self, my spiritual self, my emotional self? They all get in the running. And like anything, because I think we're human, you know, we're going to lean more towards some we like more than others, though we still need to do the other ones. So every now and then we get a little lopsided by, you know, eating too much of all the good stuff at the point where now you just really crave a piece of chocolate cake or your lousy company at the birthday party because you won't eat anything other than carrots. Right. (laughs) Right. So how do we balance that? And maybe the term clarity is, is guidance for that. When we are happy in our definition of happy, nobody else's in ours, then lay out the picture. You know, what are the pieces that support it? And then we can look back from the divers platform and say, so where am I now? And how am I staying on track on these things? Where am I wandering off a little bit? Or what is that uh, a habit that I have that's interrupting the good habits? And it's not so much I have to do something positive. I have to undo something negative that's going on. It could be something really as little as, you know, every time that happens, I mutter under my breath, you know, these people will always do this or some comment and you're like, wait a minute, well, if I'm this loving being, where does that come from? And you could probably trace it all the way back to your neighbor and you're in, you're in fourth grade or something. But there it is creeping in every now and then. But from the diverse platform, you can see it. And then you say, you stay or you go. I'm, I don't make those comments. And, and I don't know we do this once. I think this is the daily process, the moment by moment process of being our best self. So true. 
Two questions for you. You mentioned um, that we all have our own definition for happiness. What is your definition for happiness? Oh, boy, that is a big one. Happiness, I think, is the ability to live authentically for me because most of my life I didn't. I know I could probably say happy would be if I could, you know, I'm 62, if I could start thinking about retirement. Um, but I don't know that that's on my list. I think it's I'm happy when I get to live healthy and authentically in any day. I, I honestly don't know if it needs to be any more than that. What is to live authentically? To live true to who you are from the inside out instead of the people that everybody around you needs to needs you to be. And the only other thing I guess I'd say on that is it doesn't mean we don't act responsive to the people who are around, but we wouldn't want them to change who they are for us. We want them to be their best version of themselves, whatever that is, and knowing that is the only way they can ever tap into being happy is to live what is true in their inner self. And so if the world says you have to look like this, drive this, believe this, live here, then so much of that's pretty inauthentic. We can't help but be affected by it, though we tell ourselves this is the thing we should be doing. And, and that's the hard conversation to have is, you know, anytime I hear the word should, have to, must, as coach, that means somebody else is speaking. If I say I want to, I will, I would love to, then I know we're speaking. So anytime I hear should, I'm like, mm, you're hearing something from the outside. What's the voice inside say? <laughs> it's not your own voice. <laughs> um, yeah, I have another question for you about habits. They are always changing. But before that, because we're talking now about being authentic and not living for others, uh, do you love yourself unconditionally? If, if it needed a yes, no answer, I would probably say no. It is a process to do it. Because I had a fairly turbulent earlier life that I think are just battle scars that take some, you know, processing. And I think, you know, we were also raised with pretty high standards on how to be in our world. And every now and then I think that standard is higher than is reasonable. And so then I can't help but be upset with myself. And, and so I think it's a combination. That's a, a really good and difficult question. And you just turned the spotlight on me which reminds me I still have, which I always know anyway, but, but I am aware that I have more work to do so that I can honestly say who I am and how I am. I love it. It's the way I'm supposed to be. You know, no matter what, I'm, I'm not here to make sure everybody else is fine with it. And I just grew up in a, in a way and in a family where, you know, what we did was more important than who we were. And, and that's <laughs> at 62, I should, and as a coach, and with all this training, I should certainly have mastered it. But that's probably a really good indicator of how deep that stuff is and how hard it is in a world that constantly tells you what to do, why we have to create space to do our own internal work so that the inside you comes to the outside of you. Then we can, um, I, you know, one of the expressions I use is the Kevlar vest, you know, so when the, the world lobs things at us, we have this protective vest that says, nope, I don't absorb that. that. That's not me. It's not going to affect my definition of me or how happy or loving I am of me. And but until we sometimes put that little bit of a force field up there, it's so easy with all the work we do to quickly get pulled back. And that there and again, I, I, can, I must be the master of metaphors here, but then then back up to the platform and see what's true. 
And from that point, then get clear and then choose. And then I think we have the, the tool anyway, the process of handling it in a way that the world seems to keep sending it. Right. And that's right. It takes uh, practice. Like you've been, our last conversation about self-awareness, self-knowledge, it, it needs to always go back to that. And that we'll find that uh, unconditional love over and over and over again. But yeah, it takes practice. I, I agree. So habits, they change, they can't change all the time. What is in you that you know for sure that never changes? that's always there the same way? I think the thread that has moved through my whole life is the awareness that each of us are here to do something that nobody else can do and the world is waiting for it. And so the habits that we have, if they get in the way of it, to me at least anyway, I think that's what I'm watching for. What are the things that I do that are that don't make sense for the belief that I have that the that I have that each of us have this unique combination of abilities that are here to make uh, encourage people to love each other more and to make a planet that could live that way. But we get so distracted by all the other things that we sometimes forget our message and forget our purpose. So I I think the habits that interrupt me are the pressure to earn money the pressure to say things that are popular instead of things that are true, the pressure to look good for people, that great line that says, I don't know why I spent all this time trying to look good for people I don't care about, um, that um, really has nothing to do, you know, with who I am. But, you know, I got to wear this kind of shirt or drive this kind of car. And, and when my neighbors say, wow, I love your car, I feel really good. But if they didn't say that, would I feel really bad when who cares what kind of car you drive? So and this is the the complexity of humanity, I think, and why every day takes such a concerted effort and why we have to have habits, you know, successful habits of finding the platform of getting to the place where you quiet everything down so you can see what's true. And then you choose on purpose and you make the steps with intention Otherwise, truly, somebody's just grabbing you and yanking you from side to side. And much of my life, I've found myself in places that made no sense for me because I let the people in my life yank me to places that were not for me. I love that the core belief that we are all unique here. We have unique gifts to give, and it's to make the world a better place. I love that, Jay. So that leads to my next question about um, limits and fear. How do fears encourage limits? How do we even get started with the fear thing? Like, how do we um, stop this irrational fear, let's say? Because most fears are irrational. Yeah, but when we're in them, we don't think they are. True. They're very much real. Yeah, we totally justify them. And it's right that I should be afraid on this airplane or should be afraid of, you know, the storm blowing by. I think... Part of it is, um, it's, so, it's so funny, I'm doing some work on myself on this whole fear thing. And if we take a look at some of the statistics and they study all this stuff, that, you know, some number very high in the 90%, the things we worry about never happen. Um, so if we, could, if we could look at that and see that virtually everything that we come into with a fear, that it rarely ever happens, but the car, the corollary to that, and here's where I think maybe our, our strength in this is, see, when you're self-aware, when you're self-aware or aware enough of your own abilities, then when something fearful comes, 
you can look at that and tap into your, what I call inner greatness and say, oh, I just see now that I don't even need to be afraid of that anymore. Now I totally get, I used to be afraid, but that was before I was aware that I had enough of the capacity in that particular area and I'm going to be fine. Or I can figure this out. And so um, you're making me admit some things here. So the older I get, the more nervous I get when I travel because there's a lot of details. The world comes at you fast. I'm always going to places I don't know. And though a GPS is a good thing, every now and then I'm always I'm every now and then I'm really worried I will get lost and not be able to get my way back. I have no idea where that's from. I was not lost as a kid. So, but I was uh, in the airport this past week. I came back and I had parked the car and I walked out of where I am sure my car was. It was not there. So I'm walking around the airport getting more and more panicky that one, somebody had stolen my car. I don't know why I thought that. Or two, what is your problem? Why you can't remember where this thing is? And then the negative talk started. What? Not paying attention and on and on. And I look like a total nut because I'm talking to myself, reprimanding myself for my inability to remember where I parked, even though I marked it on my ticket. But this was a really weird garage that had an upside and a downside, and I was on the wrong side. And when I finally found the car, I was finally a little bit more gentle with myself, saying, hey, wonder it was hard to find. What would it have taken at that moment when, you know, the first concern happened for me to be gentle instead of harsh with myself? Hey, we'll figure this out. You have it. If you know you speak the language, someone will help you. Oh, you will get home. <laughs> and but all of that went right out the window from a guy who helps other people not let it go out the window. And it went out the window in the moment. Um, I reeled it back pretty quickly, but it didn't stop the fact that it was there. So some of these things are so deeply um, entrenched in who we are that the only way I find is to develop a process to call them out when they happen. Whoa, how weird it is that I'm nervous about that. Um, and in coaching, we use the expression, how curious. How curious this is making me all weird by this. How curious is that? To interrupt all of the noise that's starting to do the crescendo and get really weird. And no, 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 let me stop you here. Because if I do that, I'll use all my energy to be afraid instead of use my energy to solve this. And I need to solve it. So if I could be confident that I will figure this out, that is the conversation that, that I have with myself. You got this. That's my line to myself. You got this. This is an adventure. We will find this. And you will probably share a story with somebody about it, but you will be fine. And I had to do that in order to work through that little limit, that little fear in something as crazy as finding my car in the airport. <laughs> that's, so, that's so cute. Um, I guess this goes back to that um, concept that life, that life should be in a certain way. Yeah, that we that we get to a certain level and this is it. And now nothing changed and that we are perfect. No mistakes anymore. And that that is so unrealistic. We are life. Life is, is this movement, this dance. Everything can happen. But I love when you talk about um self-awareness because the more aware we are about ourselves the more we see this as truth as something real that everything it's constantly changing all concepts will change but there are things that never change love that's something that never changes that everything changes around me about me but love it's always there the same way 
I like that. I think that's the grounding, you know, that says, look, if you have to go, if you don't know what's going on, get to a place that's secure. Now I'm, I know I'm totally overusing this metaphor with a diver, but, but, you know, if he's standing on there, everything is fine there, that, that place, things are fine. The rest around him is all variable and you won't know what's coming until you go there. But could you be aware enough that the thing that will pull you there is the love and care you have of yourself and of others and the awareness that you have, that you have abilities that are enough for you to navigate your way through life. If those two things, in my head, those two things are enough. That's the one that makes you confidently get out of your bed in the morning and go do your day. I'm here to be as loving as I can with everybody that, that I can bump into and to be that with others. And I'm here on the journey of figuring out who I am to bring that me out to that world and do something that really helps the world be a better place. And wouldn't that get you out of bed in the morning? Oh, yeah. You talk about visualizing the future, just being able to uh, envision amazing possibilities and opportunities for our future. So how do we sort of distinguish this from delusions? How do we know we're just not being uh, unrealistic about life in ourselves? So why would we even think that we'd be unrealistic? You know, so part of the process of imagining is to allow yourself to be the biggest and best version or to have the biggest and best version of life that you'd like. If you can't picture it, you'll never go for it. Now, just picturing it doesn't mean you will blink and it will all suddenly appear. But it does create, I find, imagining is one of the tools that most coaches use. When somebody's stuck, they have a really small view of something. And our goal of helping them get past the small view is to say, look, you're walking on the beach, you found a lamp, you rub the lamp, and a genie came out and said, you can have whatever you want and don't play small. What would you want? And the reason why that's hard is most people don't think it's possible. So the reason to do this, and, and this is the, the exercise of it, is to allow yourself the ability to start to imagine all of what could be. Because the things that happen in life don't happen because people sat home and did what they did yesterday. There's a whole lot of people who were imagining what else is possible. So why aren't we all? And, and it doesn't have to be I'm imagining myself in a mansion. It's I'm imagining myself as a loving being. We could certainly do that, particularly if you've grown up in a family where that wasn't it. You know, so the imagining is it gives wings. It gives possibility to things that you, we previously have said are out of reach. Now, it then creates the opportunity to say, do I want to go after that? But the big thing that I find is if so, if you're picturing a road and where you're headed is the door down the road, imagining moves that door 100 miles further in a bigger environment, not because you have to, but because it's possible. You can still decide to do it or not do it, but you will only go for the, short, the, the shorter door, the first door, if you don't think there's another door behind it. So how do I help you see that whatever you can imagine, start to think it's possible, and in it, that will, um, nine times out of 10, the reason why you think it's possible, if you are listening to yourself and not to the rest of the world, you are thinking about the things that are right in line with you. 
you know, if I were to ask you that question, you would say, I would imagine, you know, if I could imagine anything, it is this loving world. It isn't that I'm driving a Bentley, you know, mm-hmm. and, and people who say I want to drive a Bentley because the ads and the commercials say drive a Bentley. <laughs> but if you could tap into your own inner self and imagine from that entity, that being, that spirit, then I'm imagining the thing you would imagine is for you not for everybody else, but the world would benefit because of what it would be. So I hate when people, that's a strong word, I'm disappointed when people shortchange themselves by having little tiny visions of what's possible for them. Because if they bring their B or their C or their D game to life, then the rest of us are affected by it. You know, there's um, an old uh, uh, Kabbalah story, have you heard? Tikkun Olam. Tukunalab is the story of the creation of the world. Um, and it goes very quickly like this. It was uh, in the beginning, and I'm really paraphrasing because uh, that's not my tradition, but I heard this story and I really loved it. Um, that uh, in the when when the world was created, all of everything was created, there was total darkness, and then there was light, and the light was put in a vessel. And for some reason, something happens, and the vessel broke, and the fragments of light, which lit up the world, were sent to every person in every event over time. And our job, capital J job, is to find our light and encourage the light in others. And when everybody finds and brings their light back, then the whole thing comes back together. The the vessel gets put back together. And we do that by being our best version of ourselves, which is loving beings, supporting and guiding others to become loving beings. And, And if we could do all that, then we create the possibility of amplifying what is brightest in us. And, but if we don't imagine, then we imagine this little glow when we could be this roaring flame, then why are we picking the little glow when we could be a roaring flame? And it's because we haven't learned to be imagined or we get our hands slapped when we start to dream about things that are big. They're like, no, that's not for you. I don't know what you're thinking. When in fact, it is all for you. And if it's that important for you, then you should know it and you should try and go get it. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, hmm. I guess for me, the most extreme thing that I imagined and I wondered if I could get there, unconditional love, just accepting and unconditionally loving myself no matter what. And this seems to be a reality now that's being challenged um, all the time. But we talked to about practice is just always coming back to that place that it's that love that's always there and has to start with me. I can't really love unconditionally or, or profoundly anything, anyone, or life itself, if I don't love myself. There's nothing out there that it's not here. Yeah, the future is just a thought in this moment. <laughs> Right, 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 right. If that gives you clarity on when the next moment comes, what directions might you want to go, then I find not that you should dwell on the future, but have an idea of how big it can be. And then go for the ride, you know, go for the ride. That leads to my question on adventure life being an adventure. So what were the most amazing life adventures you have experienced? I think the biggest one for me is a little introverted kid, me, growing up with a horrible speech impediment, became a national speaker. 
that I'm thinking every time I stand in front of a room, I'm just going for the adventure of it, thinking that if I limited myself by what everybody said and by the inside of me that sometimes when I'm standing in front of a room wants to scream and go back to my hotel room. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> yeah. So um, so that, that adventure that brings me to that spot is for some reason, this stuff makes sense to me. And I think it is part of my purpose to share it. And I have to fight every day with uh, the being an introvert and being a timid person and one who was loaded with fears to realize that the message that was given to me, I think that I'm supposed to share, I'm supposed to use it myself on me first, which is, so my adventure is, could I look at what I see and turn it on me first and then go share it? And in it, that's the place where I think I get to be more authentic. That's, that's why I have always had a challenge with being authentic because people who stand in front of the room, they just, everybody else just imagines that you're fine with this. And I can't tell everybody there, man, that's what I'm afraid to be in front of you, but, but it took a whole lot of energy to be here. And, and the things that I had to overcome so that when I spoke, I didn't embarrass myself, which I didn't realize I was doing until somebody told me in high school that I, you know, I had a lisp and every S word or S the word stop and spend and any S blend word, man, I just shut up. I didn't say four words in high school. I was so petrified of being found out that I had a speech impediment when I just didn't even know I had it. And, um, but, but, you know, until you own it, you can't correct it. And then it was just one more of the things that were thrown in front of me to say, how do you want to handle this? If you can navigate around this, what comes after is bigger. So go for it. Or you can go home and hide and sit in your room and have a impediment until you die. <laughs> oh, no, that's not. <laughs> yeah. Let's not even go there, right? That's not an advice. <laughs> That's not a suggestion. So, but those are the options. So from the platform, you get to see <laughs> both of those are possibilities. Which one serves you better? And one will always require more effort and more energy and more courage. It will always do it. That's why life is an adventure. You have to be courageous to do this thing. But if you do, you get great things. If you don't, you lock yourself in your room and you never you know, get hurt, but you never live. It has been said that life is what is unexpected, sometimes short and sometimes too long. It is not personal. We make life personal by giving meaning to it. How do we assign meaning to our lives that is in alignment with life's flow? How do we create meaning connected to common sense, acceptance, openness, like this sense of adventure, even sense of humor, calm and kindness. Um, so at the beginning of our hour, you mentioned, you know, that how we move through life is partly by awareness and partly by, you know, wisdom or intellect or um, knowledge. And I think it is learning to understand that just because the messages that we get are loud, it doesn't mean that they're purposeful. So the way that I think we understand how to walk with life and not fight with it is a different set of messages than the ones we normally get. And 
if that resonates with people, which I hope it does, because I think it's the way that it's supposed to be. And we've kind of morphed it into this other thing where, you know, how much stuff you have is what makes you happy and what makes others think you're amazing when the work that we're supposed to do is not on the outside, but on the inside. And it is our job to discover who we are, to align ourselves to the places in our world that let us do that. And I think when we do that, we we don't create the friction that normally happens when we put ourselves in places that don't fit us. And there, I think part of the reason, I call it the, 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 the three Ds, the drugs, the drinking, and the diversions. And the reason why people have those is that life is unhappy because they haven't done their work to figure out who they are and put themselves in places that make life happy for them. And the way that that happens is to be self-aware. And then even when you are in places that suit you, there's no guarantee that life will roll out the way you would like it. And that's awareness. The big one that was a, a, a big lesson for me was, hey, life isn't personal. You know, the thing, the, the fact that it rained today, um, it, it wasn't anybody being trying to mess up your barbecue. It was, it just rains what mother nature does. And when hurricanes happen, it's not personal. God is not after you. It's that this is what a live planet does. This is how it regenerates itself. This is what goes on. So if you fight with it, it will fight back. If you understand it is doing its thing and it's inviting you to walk with it, so walk. Sometimes you're gonna have to run like hell because something's going on. Other times, you don't have to do anything other than just take a deep breath in that today is utterly lovely. But in both cases, the only thing that changed was what you looked at and or how you looked at what was going on. Yeah, the biggest advice, I, and, and I'm, as coaches, we don't give advice, but when I sneak a little advice in, the advice I always give is see the world from your perspective. It's not here to, to do anything other than to invite you to go wherever it's going. How do you get on the bus and go for a ride, acknowledging that wherever you are is where you are? If you're happy, then be happy. If it's not what you want, then get off at the next stop. But, but to go through life angry and upset at the things you cannot control is, to me, an abject waste of energy. So true. So, so true. Would you like to add anything before I ask you my final question? No, I, I don't think so. And I apologize a little bit for the overuse of the, the diver metaphor. But in the very next moment, no, I'm not apologizing. <laughs> good. <laughs> good, good, I, good. It, it is, is a great way to go into 2020 of, hey, get to a place where you can gather some information, get clear, be totally present in that moment. Don't fight with that moment. Be aware of who you are. And then with intention, decide where the next step is. Beautiful. If you die today, would you have started your day differently? And what do you think the meaning of your life was? Um, I would not have started it differently. I do what I do on purpose. That is a change. I was never that way. But um, I don't think about the mortality of it, but I do think about the preciousness of each moment that I have. So um, yes, I would have started the same way. And I'm sorry, what was the second part of the question? What do you think the meaning of your life was? Let's say you're already dead now. I think the, it was that I helped people understand how to treat life as a friend instead of an enemy. And in that, they benefited by having a far more 
um, significant and amazing life than if they had not learned to befriend life. Where can we find more information about you, your work, products, services, and future projects? Uh, we have a pretty robust website. It is um, thefortefactor.com. Uh, you can find a lot of things there. You can find um, Jay Forte at uh, on LinkedIn. Um, we have the Forte Factor has a LinkedIn page and a Facebook page. So uh, reach out. We are always sharing the things that we find. Um, as you heard today, it is our and I have one colleague who is my oldest daughter, who is also a coach, and the two of us get to do this work together, which is also remarkable. Wow! Thank you so much for our. Beautiful conversation. Your presence um, has been felt uh, in a fun and deep way. Thank you so much, Jay. Oh, entirely my pleasure. Entirely my pleasure. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Jay Forte, please visit his website, thefortefactor.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Mm-hmm.